Hello, I'm Pastor Darrell Bailey. Thank you for tuning in sin. We want to be able to give you a message that will be God's truth to build up the kingdom of God. We want to make a difference in everything we do through our words as we give glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's get ready to go into the Word of God today as we get into our Bible studies for life. Christ is returned living with the end in mind. Please, if you're not attending somewhere, would you come and join with us at People's Valley Baptist Church? We're located at 68 Ledford Lane, Cartersville, Georgia. Would love to have you come and be with us. Hope that you can take time out to come and join us when you can. Amen. As we get into the wonderful Word of God here today, this is May the 22nd, 2022, and our Bible studies for life, Christ is returned living with the end in mind. As we engage with Scripture, speculation abounds about the end of the world, but it is only as we study God's Word that we gain proper insight about the end times and the return of Christ. Now, we started back in April the 24th with session one, talking about how that we stand strong to the end in Matthew chapter 24 and verses one through 14. We were talking about the destruction of the temple that's predicted and the abomination of desolation is one of the next things that we started out with in May the 1st, Session 2, Knowing What's Coming. We dealt with the abomination of desolation and the great tribulation that we've already talked about. May the 8th, Session 3, we talked about watching for Christ's return. Dealing with that great tribulation. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 23 down to verse 31. Last Sunday, May the 15th, was Session 4. It was about Trust God's timing in Matthew chapter 24 that it talked about in verse 32 all the way down to verse 41. The parable of the fig tree. I thank God that the Bible presents three trees, the fig, the olive, and the vine, as representing the nation of Israel nationally, spiritually, and dispensationally. And so we talked about that last time, but today, May the 22nd, session 5, keep serving faithfully. As we look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 down to verse 51, that we get into the word of God, amen. Now, every one of us, the point is we need to serve Christ faithfully as you wait for his return. Session five, keep serving faithfully. You know, I'm reminded while female Marines have been a part of the corps for over a century, male and female recruits will train alongside each other in the Marine Corps Recruit Depot, Paris Island, for the first time in history, January the 5th, 2019. That's when everything started off with both of them training together. And the test of about 50 women enlisted in the U.S. Marine Corps will go through a grueling boot camp training alongside male recruits rather than separately as it has been done in the past with the same-sex instructors. Recruits are organized by 
regiment, battalion, company, platoon, squad, and often a fire team. The third recruit training battalion will start the training cycle with one female platoon and five male platoons at the Paris Island Recruit Depot. Here, as I said, this is back in January the 5th, 2019. And uh, ultimately, the move came down to a smaller training classes enlisting in winter months. These are the changes that we see that every one of us, as we try to keep serving faithfully, you know, uh, as uh, the 12-week uh, 12 cycle uh, presented as an experiment, about 50 men, women that would go through the same training as male counterparts was, is, is a tough thing. The training cycle of about 300 recruits provides a recruit depot staff a unique opportunity to assess outcomes and achievements and challenges. Those are the many changes that we see that are happening in America each and every day of our lives. And so, uh, so many changes in the military. But I say, keep serving faithfully. Women account for 8% of the Marine Corps and compromise more than 16% of the U.S. military overall. The first female to enlist in the Marine Corps was Orpha Mae Johnson, who signed up at the age of 39 on August the 13th, 1918, according to the Marine Corps Times. Women represent that uh, spectacular 8%. Uh, that we see. And, and so uh, women are being much tougher today than they've ever been. We've got to keep serving faithfully. We've got to be able to be strong. Women, especially in the Marine Corps, had to be extremely tough. I remember when I got out of boot camp in the Army back in uh, June of, uh, back in 82, my first duty station was in Korea. I begin to look back at an old letter that I had wrote to my mother, February the 19th, 1983. And this is what it said. Dear Mom, hoping this letter finds you doing well. And I was so surprised the day that I got your package, but I was ever more surprised to receive a Valentine's card with $5 in it. I was very lucky to have a mother who cares so very much for me. My, my roommates are always saying that their mother never does as much for them as you do for me. I hope everything at the house is doing fine and I, I miss home very much and I'm glad to hear that uh, you received the pictures that I sent you. I look a little bit different with my haircut now and my training. Tell David, Sue, that I said uh, thank you and what it's looking like around the house nowadays, I wonder. Has it it's been snowing like crazy here in Korea. Uh, the snow outside is ankle deep now and has been snowing constantly for the past few days. And I'm starting to get a little sick of it and tired of the snow and cold weather. I miss how it looks back home. I'm, I'm very, very uh, homesick. And I've been getting through a lot of training along with working my regular hours. I guess I'll close for now, and I love you, and I thank God for you, your son, Daryl. You know, every one of us, every one of us, we've got to keep serving faithfully. Every one of us have been in situations, and studying what the Bible says about the end of times and the return of Christ can be interesting and informative. But at the end of it all, our primary focus needs to be on what Christ has called us to do right now. We proclaim Christ, the one for whom we're waiting. And as we serve those around us, our love and obedient service 
for Christ can lead others to be prepared for his return. Here, we see that Jesus and his disciples, they sat on the Mount of Olives where Jesus talked about the events leading to the end times and his return, and he told them the temple would soon be destroyed. Difficult times were coming, not to, to believe false messiahs or prophets and that no one knows the time when the end will come. But nonetheless, they were, re they, they were to be ready for his return at any time. And here we see the verses in session five, keep serving faithfully. Jesus addressed how that we should live until then. And, and, and so I'm, I'm so thankful here, the Lord's return and the believer's duty is to watch, to be ready, and to be faithful and wise. It's important to remember that this was Christ's last week on earth here in Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 through 51. This was his last chance to teach the disciples. And all that he said was of a critical importance out of necessity that must be clear and pointed. He had led the disciples to ask two intriguing questions. When shall the temple or Jerusalem be destroyed? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? That was in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, that he began to ask that question. That he says, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, here was the coming siege of Jerusalem by the Romans some 37 years later that began at the exact spot where Christ was sitting. And the disciples came unto him privately out of uh, the, the ear of the pilgrims of the city for the Passover. And they were saying, tell us, what shall these things be? And it has to do here with the utterance that he had just given concerning the destruction of the temple. And what shall be the sign of your coming? The second coming of the end of the world. It was all of this. And Jesus answered and he said unto them, will now basically give the future of Israel that the effect of the entirety of the world. He said, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, he said in Matthew 24 verse 5, saying I'm Christ and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be now troubled. For all these things must come to pass. We're very near presently to the beginning and fulfillment of what Jesus said. But he says, but the end is not yet. The end will be at the second coming. He tells us in Matthew 24, 7, For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. He says there's going to be few places in the world, if any, that will be exempt from these judgments. But he goes on, he says in Matthew 24, verse 8, All these are the beginning of sorrows, because it's the first half of the tr great tribulation. He says in verse 9, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and, you sh and shall kill you. Here pertains to the Midpoint of the great tribulation when the Antichrist, whom Christ thought was the Messiah, will show his true colors and uh, you'll be hated for all nations for my name's sake. No nation will come to her rescue of Israel. Israel, uh, Israel hates Christ, but Christ is the reason that the world hates Israel. I tell you, as we stop there, many of us, we look at the question, when have you been determined to see to it to the end, the attitude that's on display in our lives. Every one of us, 
as we look and realize that Christ had just answered the disciples' question, and now we came to an all-important point of application. And since he would be returning to earth, and God wanted the hour to be kept secret, what was the believer to do? How was the believer to live? You know, what was meant by that strong exhortation, watch. I believe every one of us have uh, at least... Uh, Four things that we ought to be doing. We have the believer's duty of verse 42 that I'm going to read that talks about how that we're to watch. I'm glad that in Matthew 24, verse 42, that he tells us, watch therefore, it's a warning, in other words, to Israel to be prepared. He says, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. Every one of us, we've got to realize that we've got to keep awake and stay alert and be watchful and sleep and be vigilant because it applies and includes the idea of being motivated, of keeping one's attention, mind upon a thing. Watching also has the idea of being alert at the right time. It is at night that a person really needs to stay awake and watch for that thief uh, that it talks about in the Bible. The Lord said, watch. What does it mean for a believer to watch, amen? The believer watches and he stays ready for the Lord's return, and he does not know the exact hour of the Lord's return. Therefore, he or she is to watch and stay ready at all times. He or she should be ready that his eyes or her eyes are open and watching for the signs of Christ's return. You see, the believer watches his ministry and his duty to God. He or she sees to it that he or she serves faithfully and wisely. That it tells us in verse 45, Who then is faithful and a wise servant, referring to all believers for all time, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household. That's in the case of the church. To give them meat in due season. God called preachers that we're responsible for properly feeding the flock. That's our number one job. I thank God for deacons that go out and do the work of the church, amen, that go and pray and keep up with all of the, the duties of the body of Christ, amen, but the number one duty of the pastor is the word of God and the feed the sheep, amen. For so long, pastors have done so much and that have, have got in the way that the deacons, thank God for good deacons, that they're the ones that are go out to take care of the flock, but because of so many years of pastors doing that, the flock looks for the pastor to do everything, when it's the deacons' job to do those things. It's the body of Christ to do those things. But the pastor's job is to preach and feed the flock. And so I thank God. Here the believer watches his ministry and his duty to God. He sees to it that he serves faithfully and wisely. Amen. The believer watches his attitude and behavior. He's, he stays his mind upon the Lord's return and walks soberly and godly among others. Amen. And so I thank God as we continue reading in verse 43. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known it, what watched the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. An unexpected uh, time will uh, be as the Lord's coming himself that no one will know. And then in verse 44, Therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. When Israel, during the battle of Armageddon, will have given up hope, Jesus will come at that time. And so here we see the destruction of the wicked that this is talking about. Verse 42 is the central turning point in Jesus' Olivet Discourse. 
The message is very clear. People living prior to Christ's return must be ready for his coming. And we're commanded to be continually alert. It's a call of continual expectancy. Christ repeats the truth of uncertain timing of the Lord's coming. And I thank God, every one of us, when we look back at verse 36, but of the day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. You know, as we look and realize that this is a way of saying that not only will Christ return at the time that is concealed from us, but it will also be a time that seems least likely. To get this picture right, we must remember that the alert position of the Christian isn't one of terror-stricken fear and nervous apprehension. It's the alert watching of eager, joyous expectation for the coming of the one that we love and serve. And I thank God the phrase, your Lord, amen, uh, as we look and realize that uh, uh, each and every one of us, it's very significant. It draws attention to the fact that we don't belong to ourselves. Rather, it's our master and creator who will return. And when we follow Jesus, we acknowledge that he's Lord and Savior, and we are his. And Jesus compared his return to a thief in the night. A thief doesn't send a letter saying when he's stopping by to rob the house. His principal weapon is surprise. And therefore, a homeowner who has valuables in their house must maintain a constant vigil. Jesus referring to that surprise element when he compared his return to that thief's arrival. Just like the burglar Jesus won't advertise the time of his arrival. And of course, that would be the extent of Christ's similarity to a thief. A thief steals what isn't his. Jesus will return to claim that which is his own. We must practice vigilance in our spiritual lives. If we've taken by surprise, it's not because God hasn't warned us. It's because of our own negligence. Believers have less excuse for a carelessness than the homeowner Jesus described who hadn't been forewarned that a thief was coming. We know Christ is coming, and we don't know when, though. And so each and every one of us, we've got to be able to stand firm and do the right thing, amen. And so as we look at the verses uh, of, of Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 down to verse 44 that we read, the central turning point in Jesus' Olivet Discourse, the, again, the message is crystal clear. People living prior to Christ's return must be ready for his coming. It's a call for continual expectancy. To get this picture right, we must remember that the alert position of the Christian isn't one of terror-stricken fear, nervous apprehension, you know? And so I thank God, every one of us, what does it look like to be alert and ready for Christ's return, amen? I'm glad that each and every one of us, when we look and realize that uh, of all the things, uh, since we know that the Lord has some powerful things that he wants to do in all of our lives, amen, each and every one of us, in verses 43, uh, uh, on a little bit further, uh, down to uh, verse 44 that we had read. This was the first parable that Jesus shared concerning the owner of a house that represents the professing believer that Christ shared four things. The owner had a house to look after. He was blessed. And for uh, uh, he possessed a house. It was full of possessions. And the possessions were valuable enough to attract a thief. The owner lived without watchfulness. The owner knew the thief was coming. He, he knew that he was coming that night. He would just not know uh, in what watch 
that he was coming. Every watch was divided into three hours. For example, 12 to 3 a.m., 3 to 6 a.m., the owner began to watch and he tried to protect his house. And he had bolted the doors. He had closed the windows. He was staying up listening to every noise and was ready to try to protect his house. The owner failed to protect the house and he failed in any area least expected. He simply did not watch long enough as the hours wore on and on. And he grew more and more drowsy and nodded more and more. And the owner simply failed to stay awake long enough. They failed to keep their mind alert long enough. They failed to look and listen to the noises, the signs long enough. They failed to keep active long enough. They failed to stand guard long enough. And the owner suffered disaster. The thief came while the owner was asleep. The owner ceased watching. And the thief broke into their home and took their most prized valuable. And the point which Christ made is very clear. Readiness is essential. And by readiness, Christ meant diligence. We are to be diligently living a life of righteousness and looking for his return. Peter said, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Nevertheless, we according to the promise look for new heaven and new earth which dwelleth righteousness. Christ gave two reasons for why we're to be ready. Number one, he's definitely coming. And number two, he's coming in an hour when the unprepared will not expect him. That he's telling us uh, here in uh, verses 44 that we read. He said, therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. And so each and every one of us have got to be ready, amen. Uh, uh, he tells us in Luke 12, and this know that. If the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. And so each and every one of us, the Lord's return is imminent. And this is the point. We must stay alert and be diligent in looking for his return today as all of us uh, go through uh, this time of looking at Christ's return and living with the end in mind in session five. Keep serving faithfully. Serve Christ faithfully as you wait for his return. But the owner's house can represent a man's life. And every man is responsible for taking care of his or her life. Christ says that we keep our house, in other words, our life, by watching and being ready for his return. For he may return at any moment. And so here, uh, as we look and realize that in verses 45 down to verse 47, that we begin to realize that uh, here, what the Lord is wanting to do, amen. Uh, because the second parable that Christ shared concerning the faithful and wise servant, he represents a genuine believer in verses 45 down to verse 47. A person who not only professes Christ, but lives for Christ. And the genuine believer may be a minister. They may be a teacher. They may be a young learner in Christ. But listen, the point is not the believer's position, but his being faithful and wise in these last days that we're in. The simplest believer uh, to Christ, uh, I, I thank God, uh, is to be faithful and wise no matter how, who they are or what their calling is today. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're a preacher, whether you're an evangelist, whether you're a teacher, whether you're just a member of Christ, a born-again Christian. Christ put this parable in the form of a question. Who then is faithful and wise servant? And so I thank God when we look at 
verse 45 of Matthew 25 here that we see that not only that we see, he says, who then is faithful and a wise servant? He's talking to every believer out there. Whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household. That might be even in the case of the church to give them meat in due season. And so, preachers, you're responsible for properly feeding the flock. That's why that as I try to step up, as it takes a lot of time, uh, even on uh, Facebook and Sermon Audio uh, today, uh, in the last over the last year to do what I've been doing, that takes a lot of time. But I'm concentrating on the most important part of my ministry as a pastor, and that is feeding the flock. And you know what? There's many of them that don't even seek to try to find out where my message is. They don't listen to nothing. Maybe they listen to everybody else. I hope they're listening to somebody. But the thing is, if you have a pastor, you need to seek out his message because that's what his job is, what he says. Many people try to stand in the way out there in the world. The devil tries to keep uh, you from getting the word of God in so many ways. Christ put this parable in that form of a question again. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? He does this to stir more thought about the issue at hand and to force a much more personal application. Christ covers three points about the faithful and wise servant that I'm going to cover, amen. But let me continue reading the word of God because he goes on in verse 46. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. The faithfulness till the rapture for the uh, all believers. In verse 47, verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. You know, the resurrected saints being made rulers in the coming kingdom age. The faithful of Israel being placed in the same capacity as the premier nation in the world out there today. But again, what did I just say? We look at it and we realize that uh, uh, Christ covers three points about the faithful and wise servant that he's talking about. Number one, the first thing, his responsibility is twofold. He's to oversee the master's household, and he's to feed the master's family. He's to oversee the master's household, and it is the master who sets him over his household. The servant does not appoint himself, nor is he appointed by other servants or churches of the household. The master alone sets him over his family. He's given the responsibility to rule, to oversee, to look after the household and family of the master, but he's under his Lord and he's to oversee primarily by example. Again, Second Peter, uh, excuse me, First Peter chapter 5 verses 2 and 3. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereby, not by constraint, but willingly, nor for filthy ludicrous, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. He says in Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have the rule, other words, ownership over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And so I thank God. I hope you're paying attention to the leader 
the spiritual leader, which is the pastor of that church. His responsibility is twofold. He oversees the master's household and he feeds the master's family. But also he's to provide food for the master's family. He's to do it in due season. His family has to be fed. It is the servant's uh, duty to provide food for them. And so I thank God. Note that he gives it. It is his duty to give and not to take. And so I thank God. He gives food for their nourishment. And he gives the food in due season at the right time. But there's many that they don't even try to seek out. To even read their Bible. To study their Bibles. Many of the members have been gone for some time. And uh, you know what? After uh, Brother Darrell and I have called and called and went and went and visited and visited, etc., etc., and went and went, all of a sudden, what can you do when people don't want to open the doors? And uh, you know what? It's that time that we're in today where so many people are, they find so many distractions that we got to keep on trying. Serve Christ faithfully as you wait for his return. Keep serving faithfully as we try to tell so many. He's to provide food for the master's family. He's to do it in due season, amen. And so his family has to be fed. Its servant's duty is to provide food for them. And note that he gives it as his duty to give, not to take. I thank God. He gives food for their nourishment. He gives it the food in due season at the right time. Because what he's saying in 1 Peter, feed the flock of God which is among you. Feed my lambs, my sheep in John 21. And I thank God that he talks about in verses 15, 16, and 17. And so the accountability is clearly stated. The Lord is coming, and when he comes, he will judge what the faithful servant is doing. The servant will be looked at and observed to see if he's managing the household and feeding the family faithfully and wisely. All I can do is provide the nourishment, but I cannot shove it down the, the, the church members' throats. I cannot make them want to tune in uh, to listen uh, to the lesson, amen. I cannot make them come out to the house of God. There's no way that we can make anybody do nothing that they don't want to do. They ought to have a desire to come to the house of God. They ought to have a desire to come, amen. Blessed is the servant who is doing, Matthew 24, 46, that it talks about, amen. He, he tells us, and so, moreover, it is required in food, stewards that a man be found faithful in 1 Corinthians 4.2. In 1 Peter 4.10 it says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He tells us in Paul's uh, writing in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I thank God every one of us, his reward will be unbelievable. The master will make the faithful servant ruler over all of his goods. That could be you out there as well, that you're being that faithful uh, one. But I thank God. Our reward will be unbelievable. The master will make that faithful servant ruler over all of his goods. And the idea is that he will be placed first, looked upon, loved, and considered first. And as though he were the only one, he'd been managing, looking after only that small portion for the master. Now he's going to be given a much greater responsibility to oversee things for his Lord. That is every one of us in the body of Christ. What little things that you're overseeing now, he'll see that and he's going to give you more things to oversee. Luke 16.10 says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. And so Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his own son but 
delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And so who is faithful and wise? The believer who is found so doing. That means he is enduring, praise God, and watching over the task the Lord has given him or her to do, amen. And then the precious thought is to picture Christ renting the skies above and returning and to know that his first sight of us will be of our laboring for him. May the Lord grant just this. When he returns, may his first sight be to see us working for him. Church, People's Valley, Facebook, Sermon Auto, Blessed is the servant whom his Lord shall find so doing. Note the word doing is a continuous action. It's it's frightful thought to picture Christ appearing and his first sight of us is that of sleeping late, working half-heartedly, mistreating somebody, talking about them, uh, arguing, being engaged in an immoral act, overeating, all of these things. But I thank God here as we look and realize that each and every one of us when we get, continue to go on of all the things that the Lord is wanting to do in our lives, amen. I, I thank God that we've, we need to, uh, as uh, we go uh, and, and begin to realize what the Lord is doing for every one of us, amen. Because in Matthew uh, 24, verses 48 through 51, here, the third parable that Christ shared concerns the evil servant. He represents a professing believer. Some say that he's even a professing minister. If so, he's not a genuine believer. Despite his profession and ministerial position, he is unfaithful and untrustworthy. And so each and every one of us, as 1 Timothy 1.12 says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. His life is tragic. Christ covers his attitude, his behavior, and his end or judgment. Because his attitude, note the word heart. As we look, he tells us uh, as, as we go forward, amen, that he says, but in verse 48 of Matthew 24, but and if that evil, and I thank God as I look at that, and begin to realize that he says, But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delays his coming. That's exactly what many in the modern church are now saying. He goes on in verse 49. And shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunken, with the drunken. Not only uh, to be in the world, but also to be a, a well uh, uh, into this category that they, they're falling into. It's sad to know that many that are out there that used to be in the church or out in the world. But he goes on in verse 51 of Matthew 24, and he says, And shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. Uh, other words, therefore shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They're going to lose their soul. They're going to go on in eternal hell. Most in the modern church, sadly and regrettably, they will fall into this category because they're religiously lost. They're not genuinely saved. And so it's sad. That his attitude, note the word heart, because it goes back into verse 49. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, you see, the attitude of his heart is, my Lord delayeth his coming. There's plenty of times several things can cause such an attitude. Doubting the Lord's word that he's ever coming. Misinterpreting the Lord's coming as being only symbolic instead of accepting it as a literal, symbolizing it to mean some spiritual truth as such as the Lord's meeting a person when the person dies, or ignoring the Lord's coming in order to allow the person to live as they wish, or thinking the Lord's coming is so far away that it has little meaning for today. 
And so we see his attitude about the heart, but also we see his behavior because after that evil servant says that there's plenty of time that he begins to live as he wishes, his attitude, his heart determines his behavior. And that is so sad. They act unjustly. They begin to smite the fellow servants. They seek more and more materially, both power and things, and they strike and mistreat uh, one another in, in, uh, that stands in the way. And so uh, they live carnally. They begin to eat and drink with the worldly out there. They walk with them. They sit with them. Uh, their life lies with them. And, and so uh, and in their end and, and judgment are certain because there's no escape. The Lord will catch that evil servant unexpectedly, and some deny that the Lord is coming to judge them. It's sad. It's in talking about meeting the Lord, it must be remembered that every man meets the Lord at death. It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, according to Hebrews 9 27. And the point Christ makes is that the evil man will face eternal doom at the end of the world. As other scriptures point out, the great white throne judgment is to take place at the end of the world. The Lord will condemn the evil servant to death with the hypocrites, and he will cut asunder. He will cut off uh, from among the living hypocrites. And where are the hypocrites? Christ says, where? There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, is what it says. The sin of the evil servant, of a person who makes a false profession that does several terrible things, they deceive themselves and others. They deceive people into thinking that they will always have to face the judgment of the Lord's return. Or if they do, it will be minimal. They minimize the truth of eternity of heaven and the life with God and the judgment which every man must face. And they take away from the message and effectiveness of the gospel. And that keeps people from the truth. It keeps them from watching and prepared, from protecting and guarding, from living and walking with their eyes upon the Lord's coming. Luke 21, 28, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. John 14, verses 2 and 3, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'd go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, and there where I am, there you may be also. You see, note that Christ still speaks of a servant, and the difference is onefold. There's an evil servant. He may be a minister. He may be a teacher. He may be a layman. Christ says that he's an evil servant, and it spells out what it is that makes him evil. The worst of all men is the man that professes or woman that professes, and while they profess and they're living in sin, Christ says that his portion is with the hypocrite. That he tells us in Matthew 24, verse 51, that we read a while ago. And shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. His only hope is to confess his evil and repent, turning back to God, ever trusting his wonderful mercy and grace. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The man who walks ignoring, twisting, misinterpreting, denying the Lord's return is walking by his senses and not the Holy Spirit and what he or she knows about the physical universe. He or she's walking as he and she senses things to be and not as God has revealed them to be to them. And so each and every one of us, when we look and realize that all of us as uh, later in this discourse, Jesus would deliver the parable of the talents. And I thank God, whether we think that we've been given much or little, we're to use what he has given us for the sake of his kingdom. And I thank God what he has entrusted to us. 
is his. We're merely stewards of what he has placed, uh, what he has uh, placed in our hands, amen. And so I thank God, each and every one of us, as we look and realize the reward for faithfulness is the responsibility that we've been given is more responsibility. That may sound strange to a person without a biblical worldview, but there's great joy that accompanies much responsibility. And in the parable of the talents, those who were given more, those put in charge of many things were told they would share your master's joy. May we be found faithful to the work of God, amen. And so I thank God. May we be on the lookout. Amen. May we be alert at these times. Amen. And so I thank God as the last thing that we read in verses 48 down to verse 51. All of us, hell is an uncomfortable subject, but we can't deny its place in God's word. We must acknowledge that judgment, condemnation, and punishment await those outside of a relationship with Christ. And with that acknowledgement should come a desire and motivation to point people to Christ. None of us knows exactly when Christ will return. Once he does, though, our opportunity to share him will be gone, and so will that opportunity. Each day is precious when we consider what we can do to serve God and his kingdom. We proclaim Christ, the one for whom we're waiting. And as we serve those around us, our love and obedient service for Christ can lead others to be prepared for his return. How can you serve him faithfully this week? Support through prayer. Commit to pray pacifically and regularly for a ministry in your church and for your city that shares the gospel and serves people in the name of Christ. Pray for the Lord to open doors and hearts to reach people for Christ. In Colossians 4.3, not only support through prayer, but build others up. Reach out to someone that you see serving Christ faithfully and encourage that person in the work that he or she is doing. Consider sending a note or taking an individual out for coffee and sitting down and testifying and encouraging them and lifting them up. But also not only support through prayer and build others up, but invest your resources. What do you have that you can use to serve others? Who can you help financially? To whom can you open your home? Where can you invest your free time? Make a plan to share these blessings with someone else. Studying what the Bible says about the end times and the return of Christ can be interesting and informative. But at the end of it all, our primary focus needs to be on what Christ has called us to do right now. We're called to serve him and to continue serving him until he calls us home. Serve Christ faithfully. Father, I want to thank you, Father, for the Sunday school lesson. Keep serving faithfully. Serve Christ faithfully as we wait for your return. Lord, I know, God, each and every one of us as we go through life. There are many folks that are still not on board. But maybe as we support them through prayer, as we build others up, as we invest your resources, Lord, I pray what the Bible says about the end of times and the return of Christ can be so informative. But at the end of it all, let our focus be on what Christ has called us to do right now. We're called to serve him and to continue serving him until he calls us home. Thank you for our Bible studies for life, for People's Valley Baptist Church, for each and every one of our men and women there, for Facebook and for Sermon Audio. In Jesus' mighty name.